Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Good morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. Guys, we have another podcast. This is number 119. William Bonac is who we're doing. Steve Smee here in the Mobster joining me from across the pond. What's up? Oh, good. All right, buddy. So, guys, uh, William Bonac, uh, he's one of the up-and-coming bodybuilders. Um, he got second place last year at the Mr. Olympia, and he's got a chance to win the Mr. Olympia maybe in the next uh, couple of years. So, you know, he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, he may win it in 2020. We're doing this podcast right before the 2020 Mr. Olympia. So, but these are evergreen podcasts guys. So we're going to talk about what we, what, you know, his life, we're going to talk about what he cycled his steroid use. I know you guys want to hear about that. And we're going to talk about some controversies surrounding him as well and how he's been an underdog, uh, for, for the past few years. So, he is from Ghana. The last podcast we had, uh, Mobster and I couldn't remember where he was from. Uh, but yeah, he's from a small country in uh, West, Af- West Central Africa called Ghana. And uh, you can tell that by his accent. If you listen to him, that is an African accent, Central African accent that he has. Um, he migrated to the Netherlands and Europe. And he was born in 1982. So he is still young enough to definitely uh, make some damage in the Mr. Olympia and other competitions. So his stats, five foot seven, 255 pounds. He's an absolute beast for, for that height, obviously. You know, when he was younger, he started lifting weights at a really young age to relieve stress, but it took him a couple decades of hard training. So this is a lesson for a lot of you young guys. You don't just become a, a, a big bodybuilder in your teens or 20s. It takes a couple of decades of training, of dieting, you know, trial and error and building that body. That's what bodybuilding is all about is building a body to get it. So 2011, he really burst on the scene. Third place at the IFE Arnold Amateur. He was an underdog. A lot of guys never gave him a chance. He came on though. He came on strong. He won his biggest competition in 2015, IFBB Nordic Pro. And then that's when he started getting some action at the Mr. Olympia. 2016, he got fifth place. And then he got third the next year. So, you know, he's been been a beast and he's been killing it. So I actually made a prediction a few years back when I wrote this article. I said that he would take down Phil Heath in the next couple of years. But uh, he'll Phil Heath actually hasn't been <laughs> Mr. Olympia champion in, in uh, the past couple of years. So he'll feel he took himself down, but now yeah. uh, William Bonag has to take down the other guys who are just edging him the last couple of years. So Bonag has a big social media presence. Uh, just in the past couple of years, his, his Instagram account has more than doubled subscribers. He's almost to a million subscribers on Instagram. So he's, he's got a lot of fans. He does a lot of stuff on his Instagram page. I mean, I have it pulled up right now. 
Um, you know, he does a lot of promotions for, for clothing and supplements and all that usual stuff. And he also has a, uh, he has a, he owns um, at least one company uh, called Bonac Fitness Temple. So he's very, very busy with that. He posts a lot of pictures. He posts a lot of uh, motivational um, training uh, videos and pictures on his Instagram. Um, and he basically, I mean, you can look at his pictures on Instagram, guys. He updates it quite frequently. He's an absolute monster. Um, and even if he doesn't take down the Mr. Olympia, the guy is someone that we should definitely be, um, you know, taking a look at here at the top levels of bodybuilding. What do you think, Monster? I was just going to interrupt you anyway, Steve. I was going to say, uh, as a taller athlete myself, Bonac to me, and I'm not a big fan, as I told you in, in, in the pre-show uh, chat, is one of the things that guys can look at, if you are his height, then he's someone you can mimic, he's someone for, for, for you to aim for. I'm 6'3". Bonac, you know, is eight, nine, ten inches shorter than me. So he, for me, there's not someone I could say compare myself to and say this is the guy that I should look at. But of course, like the, 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 the under 200 pound Mr. Olympias of yesteryear, he's a short class. He was a fact, if you might recall, Steve, a 212 athlete at one point before he, he, he stepped away from the 212 class and decided he was going to go for it. And in fact, you know, we're going to get into some of his decisions and the controversies. But it, I would argue, and again, I, I'm not a fan, he's actually made some right decisions, stepping away from the 212 class and into the Mr. Olympia and getting second place last year and uh, winning the Arnold Classic earlier this year, uh, you know, when everything was just going into lockdown, was the right decision. So, you know, he's had, he's had mentors, he's had coaches, etc. But the things, the big decisions, are, you can argue one way or the other, that he's actually made the right decision. And, and we're five foot seven. He's definitely someone for the, the, the shorter guys to say, this is what I can do. This is what I might be able to imitate and, and do well for myself. So, yeah, 100% there. Um, yeah, I, I, I've already mentioned the, the Arnold Classic is, is now in that group of guys that's 1-1. Now, whether we'll come back and win two, and especially with everything that's going on in a minute, with the competitions, the, the, the Olympia has just been moved uh, last week because Vegas looks like it's shutting down or limiting the number. You would have had like 400 people turn up. That's as much as they were going to allow. So that's been moved. Um, here's the thing. It's the same thing with the, the world's strongest man. It's going to be a big test for all the athletes with the changes that have taken place in terms of dates and preparation. And if we're going to get into the controversy in terms of his coaching, he's actually taken over his own coaching. I don't think he has anybody that he's been mentored by or, or being led by anymore. Uh, and yet, there we go. Last year's, after leaving his coach, Neil Hill, second at the Olympia. That's second best in the world. And uh, I believe last year would be um, Brandon Curry, of course. And first at the Arnold Classic, which is the two biggest competitions you can possibly do as a bodybuilder. I want to get into some of his earlier stuff, Steve. I've been, like we do, anybody listen to this podcast, we do a lot of research for these kind of things. And, and one of the videos I watched was him talking about how in, in order to become the bodybuilder that he is, and as you say, started age 13 training, and it was 12 years before he even began to take it seriously and consider competing. And I believe it's been another seven years. So as Steve says, two decades in total for him to get to the level where he is now. It's definitely not something you can do fast, guys. There's a lot of big conversations about what's called muscle maturity. But it's an interesting journey. It, 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 when he made the decision 
to start looking for sponsorship and become an actual professional bodybuilder. He was, I believe, living with his mum, who's a big part of his life. And he made the decision to step away. And in doing so, he ended up sleeping. He lost a job. He was doing a uh, carpenter on building sites, of all things. Ended up sleeping in his car and got quite depressed. Uh, and, and one point of the story talks about sleeping in a car with a gun. I, I would have suggested selling the gun if you're, if you're that hard done by But yeah. So there was some big decision making going on there. But fortunately for Bonac, it's paid off. When you're now number one or number two bodybuilder in the world, sleeping in a car might not be necessarily the best decision you've ever made. And the rest of us perhaps would have gone back to mum. But uh, he made that decision. He decided he was going to be a professional bodybuilder. He decided he was going to be a, have a career. And it paid off for him. It's not, this is not career advice, guys. You know, get a job, get an education, have that to back you up. And then if you have the genetics, if you have the potential. So William is not necessarily in that particular way something that's 100% good to follow. But he made that sacrifice and, and, and here we are, number two in the world. Potentially, as Steve says, number one. Yeah. But, go on. Yeah, so let's get, let's get the, um, you know, you kind of segued into, let's get kind of the controversies. I'm going to let you jump in in a second. But let me get, let me get his controversy that I have out of the way and I'll let Momster jump in. Then we can start talking about the juicy stuff, his training, his diet, and, of course, his steroid cycles. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys in the, in, you know, the uh, social media world, they want to basically get views and clickbait and stuff. So they'll go and they'll attack someone or they'll, they'll create a controversy. So he's, he's been involved in that and he got sucked into that a little bit. And he said in, in recent months, um, if you watch some, some of his YouTube videos, you know, he said, listen, he just doesn't pay attention to that. But he also believes at the same time, he has to respond because if he doesn't respond, then he's kind of accepting it. So he takes that type of approach. When I um, interviewed Charles Griffin, Charles Griffin, of course, is Everson Griffin's brother. Everson Griffin, who plays in the NFL, he's a $100 million defensive tackle. His brother, Charles Griffin, I interviewed him. It was on podcast 205 on the regular, my other, my other podcast, the regular Evolutionary Radio podcast. And um, so if you want to look that one up. But he also said the same thing when I talked to him. And I talked to him after the podcast for quite a while. He's a very eloquent, very intelligent guy. And he said, basically, you know, I'd ask him, you know, you know, what do you think about the NFL? Who's going to win? Blah, blah. His brother plays in the NFL for crying out loud. And he's like, oh, I don't pay attention to that. I'm just focused on bodybuilding. He's just like focused just on bodybuilding. So if you want to succeed at anything, guys, in life, you have to have that mentality. You cannot get sucked in to this social media bullshit. Stay away from social media. Stay away. Unless you're monetizing it, you're, you're, it's helping you pay your bills. There's no reason to even mess around with social media. Focus on your goals, guys. It's so much negativity. And he got into it with some of these social media people. Um, and I'm not even going to name them because I don't want to give them publicity because they're a bunch of assholes. But yeah, so jump in, Mobster. Tell, tell us what you think about that. Tell us about his... his un yeah. On that particular one, and as you say, we're definitely not, not giving this guy any traffic whatsoever. So we're not naming and shaming. And you guys can figure it out yourself. Essentially, what he was saying was... You can create this video, which gives you traffic. You can make a name for yourself as some summer critic. But what he was really pissed off about, and he was kind of true. And again, I'm not a big fan, but it was right again on this example. He says, how is it possible for this guy to use my name, talk about me and expect no kickback, no, no, no response? So he, he was, I mean, he was got a bit, a bit aggressive. Uh, and perhaps that was a mistake, but essentially said, listen, you can't 
do this and nothing's going to be said. If you're going to say stuff about me, if you're going to be this negative, and essentially traffic is money, let's be quite brutal about it. This guy gets to comment on him, get lots of hits on YouTube and make money in to, to use the UK parlance from slagging me off. So uh, it got right into the whole fuck you kind of, you know, see your career finished, no one's going to talk to you. Again, probably a little bit emotional, slightly over the top, but nevertheless, it made some of the social media guys say, listen, um, if I, I if you end up really well, and I'm thinking of a particular person who's actually done quite well for this, you get to do interviews with Olympia-level competitors. You don't get that by berating them and slagging them off and making money off of their back and essentially being completely negative uh, in that particular way that happened at the time and expect no word from the athlete what why should you that's what we have uh, press conferences for that's what it's you can't just sit there and go you know you're you're an awful human being and expect the athlete to go fine thank you very much next no if it was a boxer <laughs> it's the kind of thing we've seen get out there and give their boy a bitch slap and i think that's probably what uh, william wanted to do uh, fortunately that calmed down so shall we get into one of the others steve i can think of one very quick one and it's not controversy it's just that something he's had to overcome he injured his leg uh, about 18 months, uh, 20 months ago, and has uh, doubled up on the training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is another uh, hurdle that he's had to overcome. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to say, the more I say these things, the more of a fan I'm turning into, because he actually has had to deal with some crap, uh, some of his own making, which I'll get to in a second, and some which is like, you know, injuries. Phil Heath with the hernia uh, and a bunch of other guys with injuries, et cetera, and things that they've had to overcome. And he's as part of being an athlete. You, you, you deal with crap in life. You deal with injuries. You deal with maybe, you know, a family member's ill and, and you get past and you deal with things. And William's had a few of those. Uh, in terms of actual stuff that he's done well for himself, and I'll deal with the controversy in terms of the, the, the monetary side of things, which is what it was about, he's actually got a house being built in uh, Ghana right now. And I believe he also owns a gym out there, which is it's not really going to be a moneymaker because it's, I think they said the difference between what they, in Ghana and in uh, Europe, in, in Holland with the Euro, is not going to make him any money whatsoever. But it's a great thing for the community and there's not many uh, American style professional type gyms out in Ghana. So he's actually doing some good things out there as well. I want to get into the controversy, which was a big deal and a lot of back and forth. And even the person that we wanted about earlier on kind of touched on it when, it when it was getting a bit out of hand. And that was the with, his, with uh, Neil Hill which was his coach and something of a mentor. And, and, and when I say coach, it's both in training with uh, Neil Hill's uh, 3D uh, kind of training, Y3K, and also in the, uh, as he said, the, basically cycle and supplemental advice. Uh, and the gist of it was essentially that there was a big falling out over how much money he was supposed to be getting. And it got a bit confusing. And I suspect there was probably an element of uh, being tired uh, coming into a competition, being carb depleted, and a big misunderstanding, but a mistake, and you actually mentioned with Instagram earlier on, was to go on Instagram and really kick off. And it was something incredibly stupid in terms of he was claiming that Neil Hill was taking 40% of his earnings, and Neil Hill quite rightly pointed out and said, I've actually got signed contracts, so I can show you emails, so I can show you uh, screenshots of my phone. I was taking 20% of his uh, contest winnings, and 20% of his bonus money. And the two things together doesn't add up to 40%. It's simple maths. But one suspect was in carb depleted, it kind of did. And perhaps I think it was because um, William was starting to make a name for himself, starting to move up the rankings. So what was small amounts of money when you win 10 grand suddenly becomes a big deal 
when you're winning a hundred grand. You're now giving you're not giving away two thousand dollars. You're giving away twenty thousand dollars, and uh, they, they started to separate. They started to pull away. But as I said earlier on, he's gone from arguing about money and his position and the amount of money that I might win from this and the amount of money I might win from that to do with 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 a coach to placing second at the Olympia and and winning the Arnold. So I don't believe he's got. I think there's no other mentor, no other coach. No other guru has been mentioned since that. And here he is doing fantastically well for himself. So again, maybe it shouldn't have been handled the way that it was. He shouldn't have said what it was. And he both said that since. Uh, it was a lot of traffic for a lot of uh, forums and social media stuff and whatever else. It looked really, really unprofessional. Uh, even with the more professional approach by Neil to dealing with it, it's still opening up private stuff opening up business stuff opening up stuff that you're working with a manager and whatever else and it was all played out on the internet for the rest of us to glorify ourselves in uh, but as i say it's worked out for him because here he is kicking ass and steve's quite correct i mean uh the worst position he'll get this year is going to be somewhere in the top five and i think it's steve's probably also correct in, in that a lot of other guys get a certain amount of traffic about with their position and william doesn't get that and then he comes in a second. So you're going to talk about Big Ramy and all these guys that might be playing, you know, uh, Lee, Lee Labrada's son, Hunter Labrada, and where they're going to place. And no one's mentioning William. And we're here on the podcast. We know that he plays second. So why is he not getting that traffic? Why is he not being recognised? For a shorter guy, he's incredibly well-rounded physique. And, uh, yeah, I think... It's, it's, it's kind of weird with a million uh, followers on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, that he doesn't get that kind of respect or he's not in, he's not in the conversation. And yet he should be. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, he's, I look, guy. he's the only guy that, that got in the top five, five that didn't even, doesn't have. It's so weird how he's an underdog, but I, I love it. I love it. I don't know the guy personally. I never interviewed him. I haven't really like, you know, I don't form opinions from people unless I really meet them. So, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, so, I didn't, you know, a lot of this is image, but at the end of the day, I already like the guy yeah. just because he's such an underdog. Yeah. And I really, I actually, I, I, he's one of the guys I, I, you know, would cheer for next month mm. when they do have the 2020 Mr. Olympia. But what happened was interesting in the 2018 Mr. Olympia is remember I was saying at the beginning, we were saying Phil Heath fell off. Phil Heath, shockingly got second place yeah. and Sean Roden got first place. And then, and, and, uh, and, and William Bonac got fourth yeah. Winkler got third yeah. and then 2019, which was last year, Brandon, Brandon Curry won. And then William Bonac got a very close second place, hmm. you know? So in Phil Heath, you know, wasn't even, uh, didn't even register. Um, Hattie Chopin got third and then Dexter Jackson got fourth and then Winkler dropped the fifth. So, you know, we've seen this the past two years, Phil Heath dropped off and then you have two new guys back to back years. So maybe in 2020, we'll get a third new guy in a row. Yeah, so I, we'll see what happens. I, I was going to just jump in there and say with William Bonac, I think, and again, you know, I said earlier on, not a fan, but what, the more I say, the more you got, you start to think, you know, perhaps it's just the way he's come across and I didn't like how he came across. He's very, very slowly improving. He seems to be doing it all off his own back. Not, not, not a great, you know, he's actually got, got rid of a guru. And yet everybody else works with gurus and blokes that talk about this and training camps in Kuwait and whatever else. And there's William in Amsterdam in the Netherlands doing his own stuff. 
building his house, helping out the Ghanaian community, and slowly adding a pound here and slowly adding a pound there, and being consistent. So you know, the more I the more I say, the better he sounds. Yeah, for sure. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so let's get into his training and diet. You're the training guru, mobster. I'm going to get into his diet really quick. Um, so what, what we know from this nutrition, guys, remember in this that level of bodybuilding, more is better. You're, you're using tons of steroids, tons of, tons of drugs, tons of ton, working out like a madman, eating like a madman. So his diet is no different. An example of what he would eat for breakfast, oats, eggs, nuts. Very yeah. interesting that he talks about yeah. that. Because yeah. um, if you tell someone to eat oats, eggs, and nuts, they'll laugh at you and they'll call you a hippie. You know, uh, you're probably some skinny hippie. But no, this is what these, yeah. these guys don't eat bacon smothered in oil, okay, for breakfast. <laughs> like, like a typical American. Uh, yeah, three, three, let's fly, fry three eggs in refined oil, bacon, um, you know, hormone raised the uh, bacon, throw it in a pan. No, that's not, that's, that's what Americans eat. That's why Americans are 300 pounds. This guy, you know, 300 pounds fat. This guy ate clean. He eats clean. He believes in a diet to stay big and get ripped. Very simple diet. Complex carbs, potatoes, oats, rice, eggs, fish, meat. You know, good quality, good quality meat, guys. Typical dinner for him. Chicken, rice, green veggies. Wow, that's so you know, surprising. It's a cliche, but it works. Okay. It works. It's a very simple diet. It's filling. You, you're going to, you're going to feed your muscles in the process. He also mentions almonds in fats, good fats also in his diet. Oh, we're scared of fats. No, he eats fats. Fats are not our enemy. Good fats, bad fats are our enemy. Good fats are not our enemy. So he talks about that. And we see that a lot with, uh, with nutrition's and uh, when I, you know, when I've interviewed some of these nutrition gurus and in, in, in prior uh, podcasts, you know, they mentioned this as well. So a lot of the stuff you might hear out there is, is not necessarily true, but they eat clean and they eat a lot of good quality natural foods. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, Mobster, you're the, you're the workout guru. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about his workouts. What is this guy doing for workouts? We want to know. Oh, oh. On the food one, guys, there's a day of eating video that we'll probably link to in in the podcast, so you can watch that. And it is exactly spells out his 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 former girlfriend now wife cooking food with uh, William coming in, and it's exactly like Steve says. Seriously, you need to look at it. It's five, six, seven meals a day. I think five to six is around average. All on there. We're trying to link to that for you in the podcast training. It's not actually that. that it's not um, anything crazy. And it's certainly no big weight. So I deliberately looked at a, a, a day of training. It's actually more of a week of training uh, and, and a couple of videos to see to see what he's doing there. It would be, for me, a much higher volume. I mean, we're talking about a minimum of four, sometimes six, and a very rarely occasionally seven different movements per body part. Uh, typically five sets, occasionally one or two more, but the average is around five sets. So I'm going to say, why was that? I wrote here four to six movements, five sets, eight to 15 reps. And I, the videos that I've seen, and they're in the last four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, all the videos I looked at before a big competition. There's no, we're not talking about four plates aside benching or five plates aside uh, bent over rows. It's moderate weight, uh, uh, five or six movements, as I say earlier on, four to six movements, and eight to 15 reps. There's occasionally a bit of a pump set at the end. 
He does train with a buddy. In fact, on one of the videos, which I believe is from uh, late last year, he has trained with this particular guy for over 10 years. And he's not, uh, he, he looks like he might have done some sort of low-level competitions. He's got physique, not in Williams' class, but they're obviously good training together. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that Steve actually referred to in his uh, article, which we can get into, is his arms. I think something specific that Steve looked at. He does have, and again, it's, it's, he doesn't have any really great, crazy, outstanding body parts, and yet his arms are world-class. And it's a relatively simple approach, even for arms. I think it's in, you, you said in the article, Steve, it's a bit of machine work in there for arms. And I think there's, I think you again referred to it, and I've certainly seen something somewhere else, over 22 inches, which at five foot seven is just crazy. He does have a very good peak. His triceps are good, but the peak to his biceps what probably carries that arm off really well with and, and a decent tie-in that is not too short on the on the tendon there. It hooks into the forearm. And so you get that kind of uh, almost filling the gap up, not quite ever so slightly shorted head on the biceps there and good forearms. So I mean I, the video I watched this morning specifically was a back workout video. And we're talking about pull downs, uh, lever rows, low lever rows, uh, low cable row. Uh, the uh, you've got a mid range kind of row machines. It was all machine work. I don't think I saw any free weights. Um, I don't think. I mean, as I said, for his legs, I don't think he does a back squat. He actually credits uh, front squats. Again, this is in Steve's article. So, but but looking at the videos that I have seen and doing the research, a lot of machines. Uh, there's some hammer strength type stuff, etc. Although over in, in Holland, I think these are like a local brand that he's using. And again, the, the, the stuff that he does in the videos, and perhaps that's not the same as what you sometimes see in the magazines. There are no crazy 200 pound dumbbells. There's no, you know, using a whole stack on every single thing, but good form. And let's not let's judge or don't judge. It's working for him with his genetics, with his putting, I mean, again, these are four workout videos. He's got a good, damn good sweat on under the back workout. He's wearing a t-shirt the whole time. There's no stripping off and posing or any of that kind of stuff, but you can see the lap muscles. You can see the depth. You can see the thickness. Oh, that was a one, one other thing I recall as well from his training. And the back is a good example again. Similar to Ronnie Coleman, one back workout is specifically for width and one back, back workout is specifically for thickness. And again, in his particular case, the training that he's doing is working for him. So a bit of advice for you then, guys. Cease me and I don't train the same. I guarantee that we don't train the same. To Steve would have way more volume than me. And again, William's approach to training would be much higher. I'm not, again, I'm not a bodybuilder, but a much higher bodybuilder volume. And yet I weigh what I weigh and I can do what I do uh, as a strength athlete. You need to find these things are all of a bit of a template. You can go at what William does look at what he does, take some of those bits of information, some of what he does, and adapt it to your training. The advantage, and Steve mentioned it earlier on, of doing 20 years, is that after 20 years, you know what works, you know how other muscles should feel, you know how any advice that he might have got earlier in his career from coaches like Neil would be how to get the little nuances out and stuff like that, and he needs to have learned that. If he has learned it, then you don't need someone telling you every five minutes. So it's how to get the best out of an exercise. And in fact, if that's probably the best piece of advice I could give you, if you're going to watch William's workouts, he's learned how to get the best out of himself. And that's what you should learn by watching what he does. You don't need to do six movements. You might need to do three. You might, you, you, he does eight to 15 reps. You might find six to 12 reps works for you. So 
look at what they do. You do not have to ape it. You don't have to do exactly what they're doing in order to get that. But look, again, he's a sort of guy. And if you've got any similar genetics, there's a lot of stuff out there. If you pick the bones over and say, listen, it's working for William at 5'7", and I'm 5'6", I'm 5'7", 5'8", whatever. Maybe this kind of workout would be really, really good for me. But again, he's not pounding this stuff. It's not 200-pound dumbbells. It's not 300-pound bent over rows. It's not, it's not uh, weights, pins, or just that kind of workouts. It's just putting the work in, doing the grind, and then relying on the diet to bring you into condition. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, and I've actually learned a lot from guys like William Bonac on training. But no, obviously, these guys, if you train like them, you'd end up injured. If you mm. ate like them, you'd end up obese. And if you ran the steroids that they run, you'd probably shorten your lifespan quite a long time. So these guys have the genetics to back up all the stuff. They do this full time. This is what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, you're not going to be able to train like Tom Brady and then win a super, six Super Bowls. It doesn't work like that. If that was so simple, <laughs> so many people would have done it by now. It's just not that simple. So, and then with this, but it's training, you can learn. Like Mobster said, I actually have learned from, from, from just doing these guys training, but you can't train exactly like them, but you can train, learn from what they train, like the front squats, the machine work to, to kind of uh, on the biceps, just to get some nice pumps. You know, it's more of an ego thing with me. You just get those nice pumps. You walk around the gym with those pumped up biceps and, and you, gave yourself, you gave yourself a nice ego, ego stroke that yeah, way, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And then you go to the supermarket where you're, arms all popped up why the fuck not we're all we're all fucking narcissists fucking do it <laughs> so jump in mobster and then we'll, we'll get into a steroid guys so something that you, you see more and more and more from every aspect of the professional athlete so not just bodybuilding pretty much from 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 pro ball that steve's mentioned basketball a strong man every athlete i know now that's at a professional level the thing that you have noticed the last couple of years and i think steve would agree with me is recovery is everything and i mean every single thing from chirotherapy to deep tissue massage i don't is a, a, a top athlete out there that's not getting a match at least once a week if not twice a week or more that in strong man and in bodybuilding we're seeing the the ice baths so helping with recovery we're seeing chirotherapy in terms of the actual cabins that you step into and it's like you know, minus 20 minus 40 whatever kind of crazy below zero temperatures to help you for two minutes just to help with recovery they are they are doing uh, active recovery. You're training once, sometimes twice a day, two, three times a week. These guys are spending a half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour doing recovery stuff too. Now, that's one of the few things I'm not seeing any information on, funny enough, with regards to Mr. Bonnick himself. But I, I would probably say it was almost certainly a given. When Steve sees this stuff as a career, we're talking about, honestly, eight or nine hours a day. How many hours a day for eating? Training is really at the most, and that's if you do two sessions. If you do one session, it's really of a professional body, it's an hour. But you're doing other aspects of business. But some of that time a day is actually spent in specific recovery, whether it's hot yoga, whether it's stretching, whether it's massage, whether it's chirotherapy. That is a big, big thing for all professional athletes, not just bodybuilders. It's the one of the few things that there's no information on there as far as William's concerned. But I'd say it's almost certainly a given. I, I, I would put probably two, three hours a week to one side, in William's case, uh, set aside for active kind of recovery type stuff to, to, to get through these workouts. And again, Steve says quite properly, and we, when we get to the steroids, the same thing again. 
the genetics of the individual is how they're going to respond to all these things. William is a genetic freak. He is a big guy for five seven, big muscular guy, and you do not get to the levels of competition that he's done without those genetics. So bear that in mind. But again, recovery is something that you can put into your lifestyle if you're serious about your training. Stretch. If you're serious about your training, look at hot yoga. If you're serious about your training, even if it's only once a month, go off and get a massage, get the back realigned, get get everything put back in place because you're pushing and, and pounding on this stuff. And and again, we've touched on this in previous podcasts. Look after yourself, guys. Don't get nothing torn or, or ripped or or strained or do the you know crush your disc or whatever. And let's get into the steroids, Steve. That's the meat and potatoes of all these podcasts. What people like to hear about. Yeah, so we have a little over 20 minutes left, so we're definitely going to spend the rest of this talking about this. Now, you know, the steroid use is not really a big surprise at this level, obviously. Uh, It's chemical warfare. It it really is. The the question is, though, compared to 10 or 15 years ago, are guys getting more smart when it comes to steroid use? Are they getting more efficient when it comes to steroid use? And even are the steroids today better than they've been in the past? We mm. went through a period of time in the 90s where steroids, good quality steroids, was hard to get um, if you were, you know, uh, you know, because there was so many people, you know, selling bad gear. And nowadays, I think the gear that we see now, if you sell bad gear now with all the forums out there, like our forums, if you sell bad gear, you know, you're going to get you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People talk, yeah. people network about this stuff. It's not like it used to be before these all these hardcore forms like evolutionary.org came around. Yeah. So it's the question is, are the dosages going up or are they going down? So in William Bonex's case, you know, it's a question of, you know, how efficient is he? So HGH, insulin, those two together, an absolute must. If you're going to be 5'7", 255 pounds, mobster, and ripped, You've got to run the HGH and the insulin together. You can't run just the insulin and you can't run just the HGH. If you run just the HGH at these numbers, your blood sugar is going to skyrocket. If you run just the insulin by itself, you're going to gain, you're going to store fat. Insulin is a storage hormone. So if you run them together, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Now you're getting big. So the way these guys incorporate HGH and insulin is very simple. They'll run a crap load of HGH. They'll run the insulin along with it, okay? And then they'll eat their meals. And then their, their body will shuttle in all that food that they're getting because they eat an insane amount of food. Yeah. And they'll, it will store that into the muscle and, cut, and, and basically feed your muscle. I don't want to say store in the muscle. That's not really, you know, I, I don't want to misconstrue that. But they, it basically feeds the muscle. You're feeding that muscle. You're getting that muscle growth to be able to manipulate that to exceedingly high levels that are not natural, obviously. So that's why the easiest people- Maximize them in insight and maximize them the effects of anything else you're doing food-wise. As a, you're, you're getting 100% or as close to 100% as you can try and get, as opposed to say, for example, a normal guy may be getting 60 or 70% and not that's with a less than perfect diet. And in terms of the steroid stuff, again, this is 100% something that knew he was involved in. He specifically says in, in one of the videos about the whole controversy that we mentioned earlier on that I was planning, and he, he uses a word, and I can't remember the word right now, but essentially I think he says he was planning the cycles and he was planning the nutrition as well as the training. So it was all being covered. I think Steve's quite excited when he says about the chemical warfare. 
The question is, is William, in terms of these things, doing his stuff all year round? The clever way would not be to go crazy all year round and just build up to the competitions. And as we mentioned in previous podcasts, have a clearing out and whatever between competitions when you have time off. I don't know what William's uh, particular scenario is out there in regards to does he have time off? Like we've mentioned on some of the top world awards we've mentioned in previous podcasts, having three months sometimes as much as with the Kevin Leverone, one that's coming out soon, guys, uh, nine months off. Now, I don't know if there's a situation with uh, William. Something else that probably has changed and is not mentioned when, when, when Steve did wrote this article a couple of years ago, but would be included now, I think would be peptides. And again, this is stuff that's coming in the last couple of years. Availability is much easier. Again, I can't, I'm, I'm old enough and it's literally the last two years when this stuff was difficult to get hold of. And now there are magazine adverts in UK bodybuilding magazine. I can think of what, there's only one print magazine now and it's four page as it's a two two page adverts full full size adverts for two peptide companies in a uk bodybuilding magazine so that's how commonplace that's become and of course all of our uh, sponsors uh, certainly the the, the three uh, t- the two specific steroid ones and, and, and sums are doing stuff with peptides that you can get an availability there so something that's probably what would be included in the cycle now and with regards to injuries, and I mentioned the leg injury earlier on. What about the amounts here, Steve? I'm looking, I'm looking at the cycle that we're talking about here, and everything's coming up to about four grams a week in total. With with the sesipionate, infinite, that's a, a two and a half grams right there. Another gram of mastron to three and a half grams, and with the uh, ancillaries and other bits and pieces that we've got to take them with a couple of oils here, it's about four grams a week. Three, certainly three and a half, four grams a week which would be, for me, an absolutely god-awful amount. But when you're 250... <laughs> I think yeah. it means... I, I, listen, I, you know, if I take gear at that, even, like, over a gram of gear, I just uh, <laughs> I feel like crap. But, guy, these guys are just... That might, make, that might be why he came across so grouchy when I was saying about how he came across being bad. I'm thinking, you know, if you're training like a demon, you're wearing yourself out, you're having the same food all the time, which we know he does... And then you're taking steroids to make you grouchy. It's no wonder he's torn someone and who are so social media and falling out with his, his manager or whatever else. And, and maybe, you know, he's not happy smiley. Some guys handle it better. But here he is producing the goods. He's 255 pounds at five foot seven and plays on the size what he places and winning competitions. Yeah. So in his particular case and with the things that he's done with his money, it's been worth it. But for the rest of us, four and a half, five grams a week. No. Just know, people, you, you do not need... This is the one thing I would take. We can look at what we think is taken, and I think this is reasonably accurate. But if you're an average dro, you do not need to do four and a half grams a week to William William Bonnet like. It's not going to happen. It's not going to... You're not going to feel good. Uh, but again, it's the, he's rolling the dice. He said, listen, for me to get to the level that I've got at, I'm prepared to do this. I'm prepared to spend this amount of money. I'm having this stuff supplied to me, et cetera, et cetera. And it's paid off. What's the second prize at uh, the Olympia? $90,000, The Arnold's $1,000. So that's yeah. two competitions in 12 months, $190,000. In English, that's £150,000. That's about six times the average income. Bang, it's worth the money. And it's so it, the only issue here would be the long term stuff. Well, I mean, we're looking here, as I said, I'll read out the other bits and pieces. And of our 125 milligrams a day. Now, for 99% of our listeners, 50 milligrams is a sweet spot. But this is stuff 
that he can leave in longer. You're not going to get absolutely huge on any of our, but you're going to, it's going to help you with your strength. And I believe in this particular example, it'll probably be great as a hardener, uh, part of that particular process. Win strong, 100 milligrams a day. Carterine was suggesting, again, this is something in the last few years, 30 milligrams a day. And a normal dosage for that, as Steve would tell you, is 20 milligrams. More than enough. But we're not Olympia-level athletes. We don't have their genetics. So here's something again. And we've got here T3, 100 micrograms a day. And I believe actually that's a little bit towards the higher end. But again, this is pre-competition stuff. In the case of the testosterone, 1,500 milligrams, you're stopping three weeks before competition because you're so long-acting. Uh, there's probably going to be some manipulation of other bits and pieces in there. And again, I was said, but didn't mention in, in when this article's written, but peptides for sure. Uh, I think it would also be one of these things where, and again, this is a bit of advice for you guys, any of these drugs, any of the peptides that are out there, I would want to run something six months. I would actually probably want to run some of this stuff out of competition, certainly if I was just thinking of competing, just to see how my body responds. What a lot of gurus are able to do when they're giving the advice to these kind of athletes is they take stuff in and take stuff out, and they, they're asking almost for daily uptake photographs. They want to update. They want to see what you look like. They want to see how your body responds. Now, the issue is health, because you're looking amazing on stage. Send me that photograph. Oh, my God, your abs are popping. We'll, do, we'll carry on doing that drug that we're doing. But it might be at a level that's excessive for 90% of our listeners. It might be a level that makes the rest of us sick or ill. It might be run for way longer than Steve and I would recommend but it's all about how this guy's going to look on stage and if he keeps that condition so that you have to bear that in mind when you're looking at steroid cycles like this, this is for a superior genetic athlete who's placing very high winning uh, the two, two placing high in one and winning the two highest level competitions in the world who's made as i said earlier something like $190,000 just from those two competitions who's willing to pay the price if you're a typical joe you don't need five grams a week. You don't need to be doing the excessive doses that we mentioned. And your response to them is not going to be even close to what Williams is. Without taking anything away from what I thought of him earlier on, he's a genetic freak. And part of being a genetic freak is the response to PED use. And even just the long-term health. Some guys are going to be made ill with jaundiced skin. And another guy, it's like water off a duck's back. It means nothing. Zero problem. Some guy can run this for eight weeks and be ill. Another guy could run it for 16 weeks and feel fine. And that's the individual response. Something that Steve talks about often. And when we're giving that advice on the forums, I would agree with. I would hope that uh, William would do me something like this. Looking at the bloods, getting results. And this is where the gurus come in again, where they can sit down, look over your res results, look at how you're responding, look at whether you feel ill, whether you're grumpy, whether the food's coming in, whether your skin's glowing whether muscles are popping whether you look flat everything and that's where a guru the second eye is very difficult for a bodybuilder to do this but the second eye comes in and looks at you and they're not grumpy they're not carb depleted they're they're, they're, they're almost taking like a doctor taking a step back and a guru comes in and is able to do that uh, whereas sometimes when you're competing you're trained you ache your missus is getting on at you the food's tedious and the steroids <laughs> You're, you're, you're grumpy just from the steroids, you're grumpy from the mobile injections, daily injections. God damn, you know, I feel like a pincushion and all that kind of stuff. You're not able to look at yourself properly and this is where a guru comes in. So we do this stuff when we're doing a podcast. It's very easy for us 
because we're not doing this stuff. We're not training like this. Is not a, a nine hours a day thing for me, Steve. It's much, much easier. Well, the thing is that with these this much steroids, the the main issues when it comes to grumpiness is when you don't eat. So, but the you know he's handling it. He's he's eating. Yes. Because uh, like when you when a baby's hungry, it's gonna cry, it's gonna whine, it's gonna complain. So you give it food, it shuts it up. When a when a kid is tired, he's gonna whine, he's gonna complain. So you lay him down for a nap, and then he's better. In this case, you know, I'm sure these guys take and including William Bonac, tons of sleep medications before bed because it's hard to sleep when you're on this much gear. Your heart rate's always gonna be like boom, 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 nonstop. It's hard to relax. Your gobble levels are gonna be crushed. So I'm sure he's taking some uppers in the morning, taking his caffeine, and then before bed, he's taking his downers. Uh, Jump in here, um, Mumster, what you want to add, and I'm going to kind of go through each one of these steroids and explain why we think he uses these steroids. Right, so I think the the last thing I was going to say in regards to you just mentioned the sleep stuff, and and as a bigger guy myself, I know of a bunch of strongmen and indeed a bunch of bodybuilders, and William's right up there with 255 pounds on his frame, sleep apnea. Literally, guys... You get to the point where the weight of your chest, the muscles on your chest and on your back, pushing down in a ribcage, the size of your neck, not being able to lie down in a certain particular way that a normal person does. And, and again, with the gear as well, we want six, seven, eight hours sleep and it doesn't happen. You're not breathing properly. You're not sleeping right. Uh, if you're overtrained, that can affect your sleep as well. It's incredibly important. So in terms of a bunch of strongmen, they're 330 pounds as an average. A lot of them are wearing a CRAP mask uh, to, to force the air in and keep the passageway open and enable them to get a solid eight hours sleep. I would actually think in terms of uh, William, one of the ways that he could probably deal with it is you get a bunch of cooked pillows, uh, not just the ones with your head resting on, and you kind of wrap yourself around these pillows and get yourself into as neutral position as possible. It sounds like a dream, guys. Broad shouldered, huge chest, tiny waist, big thick neck, big thick arms, etc. But it's actually kind of bad to sleep well when you're built like that. So you kind of want one of those uh, bolsters, a huge bolster type pillows. Or even, even if it's just wrapping yourself around a girlfriend, you need that body posture. So there's a bit of advice for you as well. This is very, very important. And, you know, it sounds like a great thing. I woke up one day and I was 300 pounds and my chest was 60 inches. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got four pillars under your head because your shoulders are so damn wide. Pillow between your knees because you're fires. And you're having to wrap yourself around three pillars just to get your body position exactly right. Otherwise, you're kind of folding in on yourself. So, yeah, 200. I think Steve's correct. I mean, on, on, the, on, the, on the food video, we see him having six meals. He's rotating uh, ribeye steak cut into chunks with uh, uh, rice and another meal is, is potatoes and uh, salmon and another meal is uh, chicken and uh, rice mixed in with uh, some uh, some vegetables as steve said it's very boring but uh yeah six meals a day from when you get up in the morning with the oatmeal so probably the last meal you know just before you go to bed i believe when i i did a calorific count looking at the video is up around almost six thousand calories a day which is more than i eat and i outweigh them by 45 50 pounds if, if not more. Uh, so yeah, this is difficult. It sounds great, but it's actually hard work. And the sleeping is just, that's difficult too. The, the, the body being built like that is not actually as comfortable as you think it would be in bed, even at five, seven. So yeah, let's, let's finish this to steroids. Yeah. yeah. And then that ties into metabolism. There's no metabolism. He's eating a lot. So calories in calories out, you know, is, is true, 
but we, you know, the calories out thing is what people screw up on because they think that your calories out stay the same. And that actually goes up and down. So if you're eating a lot, you're taking all this uh, T3, your calories out is going to be much higher than people assume. So this is why fat people can't lose weight because they, you know, they get calories in, but they don't know how much calories out is coming out and they're, they're a lot less than they think. So in his case, that's why that T3 is taken. The T3 keeps his metabolism strong. He's spitting out, you know, that thyroid, the thyroid is, is working like crazy. He's getting, getting it out. So that's why, you know, we think he's that. The carterine would help him with fat loss and endurance. That's why we think he's using that. The Winstrol 100 milligrams a day, especially closer to his competition, it's a drying agent. It's going to dry him out. It's a DHT derivative, dry, 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 dry. And at the competition, very, very important. There's no benefit to having any water in those joints. You want to dry it out as much as you can. Yeah, Anavar, Anavar, great oral, non-aromatizing, just like Winstrol. No water retention on it. It's going to help them. It's going to help them, you know, uh, with the lean muscle mass and no water gains. That's why he loves it. The Masteron is a hardener great hardener, a gram a week, up to the competition, obviously using propionate. They're not going to use anything. Um, in, mo in most situations, they like to keep things flexible. The Trenbolone, a gram a week. The Trenbolone is great at boosting insulin resistance in the body, Gives your makes your body like a sponge. It works with that HGH and insulin. So as Mobster was alluding to earlier, you eat a big meal, okay? Now, to a normal person, you eat a big meal, your body's going to store that meal as fat. But when he's on all these different drugs and steroids and, and, and T3 and the carterine, it's going to go in the body and it's going to be shuttled. It's going to be like a sponge and it's going to be shuttled in the body where he's able to take advantage of that meal. So the way these guys think, their mentality, the way the guys, these guys think is they don't want to waste the meal. If they eat a meal without being on the HGH, without being on the insulin, to them, that's a waste without being on the trend. That's a waste because you're not able to fully take advantage of that meal. So to yeah, maintain that size at his height hmm. is – It's that, it's impossible without all this stuff. He needs the stuff to stay that big. It's impossible. You can't – an average person at 5'7", 255 pounds is like 40% body fat. They're freaking morbidly <laughs> obese. Yeah. He's able to stay huge and lean. It's genetics, but it's also what he's taking. And then let me just finish up with the test, the, the testosterone. The testosterone is in there. They did not use testosterone back in the day. And a lot of uh, people in Asia, especially don't use testosterone even to this day. Mm. They didn't have AIs. He does. He has access to aromatized inhibitors. He's using the, the Aromadex, he's using the Aromacin, and he may even be using the Letro, depending on what his coach wants to put him in, to dry him out so he doesn't have to water worry about the water retention. But if you at home run 1,500 milligrams of testosterone sip without an AI, you're going to turn into a bloated fish. You'll gain 15, <laughs> 20 pounds and look like a bloated fish. Okay? So, yeah, it's completely different. So I'll let you, Mobster, we have a couple of minutes. Finish out the show with your thoughts on that. I'm going to jump in. I think the thing is, is the, in terms of accessibility to drugs, it's pretty much the same for everybody. So when Steve's talking about the food and maximizing that with insulin, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to come down to, right, every single person that you're up against is a genetic, genetic advantage compared to the average guy. Every single person has attributes around them that makes them a great athlete 
or, or, or an especially good bodybuilder. And you don't want to give a single fill away. So what does it come down to? It comes down to having the same access drugs, same access to training, same access, making the least amount of mistakes, maximizing, as Steve says, the intake of every single drug, every single meal. And Honestly, when you, you hear some athletes talk about it, it's not just bodybuilders, when they say that I, I, I think Dorian Yates actually said this, something like, there was no way that no one could beat me because I, I, I knew that I trained the hardest. I knew that when he was actually talking about drugs and nutrition, every single thing had been on point for 51 weeks prior to the competition and no one had done this, the, 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 not made a single mistake, no one, could have done every single thing that I'd done for 51 weeks, 52 weeks, whatever, and never missed a meal, never didn't fuck up on the drugs, didn't fuck up on the supplements, training was on point. And that's what it's going to come down to. The accessibility of these things It's probably, we can get hold of these things on the forum for our sponsors. So we have the same accessibility to good drugs as the top bodybuilders in the world. There's this idea sometimes that they're getting secret stuff. No, they might be getting pharmaceutical stuff. They might be getting stuff prescribed to them by a doctor that's been made in a compounding pharmacy, but pretty much everything else is the same as what we can get hold of. And therefore, it's going to come down to not, and I'll be crude here, not fucking up, doing everything on point all the time. And I used the, the phrase the other day in, in a podcast when I said it's like monk-like stuff. It's kind of not, it's not romantic. It's not. It's kind of tedious having the same three protein sources every day, four if you include eggs every fucking day. For me, that would drive me absolutely crazy. But again, if I'm going to win a hundred thousand, if I'm going to win the Mystery Olympia, that's four hundred thousand fucking dollars. <laughs> Sugar-coated dog shit, people. <laughs> four hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to eat the same fucking meat every day if that's what it takes for six months. I'm going to do what needs to be done. And that's what we're talking about. The same thing applies to drugs. Is accessibility drugs is no better than it is for me or is it for Steve? We can get all of these things. Sponsors do this. Not a problem. But having it on point, having it perfect, having everything optimized and assisted with the food. It's exactly right. The attitude has to be that every single mouthful that I'm putting in, if I'm having these four or five protein sources, I'm going to use three carb sources, and that's what I'm doing all the fucking time for 16 weeks or 20 weeks, then I want to make sure that every mouthful that I have has not been wasted. And if that means I've got to give myself a jab of insulin or some more growth or whatever else to, to win $200,000, to win $100,000, to win $400,000, then I'll do what needs to be done. And that's it's a business-like attitude. It has to be. So long as safety's in there somewhere, blood test is coming back, and you doing exactly what you need to do and not too much, then in his particular case, at his level, it's worth chancing. It's worth going for. I think so, Steve. All right, guys. So we summed it up in this one. The next podcast we're going to be doing, I'll give you a little hint. He's from the Dominican Republic. So uh -huh. you guys can, can, can look for that one next week. Yeah. All right, guys. So we'll talk to you next week. Keep in touch. Keep the questions and suggestions coming. We, we have a lot of suggestions on the forums for guys to do. Yeah. We'd be happy to talk about them. Really, really cool. We can learn from these guys. Even That's though we're never, we're never going to be these guys. We're never going to be Mr. Olympia. We're never going to be Super Bowl winning quarterback. We're never going to win a Stanley Cup. Okay? But we can learn from these guys little tidbits here and there, and it can improve us in our workouts and training. Talk to you guys yeah. next week. Have a good one.
Sí, soy.